Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to this time in the service, we, we ask, God, that you would be uh, especially here today to speak to us very clearly. God, we are, are just so overwhelmed by the power of the gospel and the salvation that you have given to us. But it's so easy, Lord, especially if we've grown up in the church, just to hear these things and, and, and to think probably more lightly of these things than we ought. And we just pray for the power of your Holy Spirit to be upon us this day, that you would open our ears and, and, and our hearts and our wills and our, our minds and our understanding, God, to, to see the things that you have given to us. I pray that you would stir within us, Lord, a, a heart of worship and a heart of obedience, God, to you. So please do a mighty work in our midst this day through the preaching of your word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Paul wrote this letter to the churches of Ephesus and the surrounding area. But what Paul wrote was not just for the church then, but it's also for the church today as well because the words that Paul wrote were not just the words of a man, but they were the words of God. They were the words given to him by God himself. And God spoke these words to Paul, to the church, to encourage Christians to live the Christian life in every part of their life. If you remember back to the beginning of our series on Ephesians, we begin actually with chapter 4, verse 1, where Paul says, I, therefore, a prisoner of... For the Lord. So Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesians to encourage them while he himself is in prison for the gospel. He says, But I urge you to walk or to live in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. In other words, what he's saying is, is you've been called or you've been saved, and so I urge you to live like people who have been saved. And then he even goes on later in that text and he says, and he describes what that looks like. He goes, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Because Paul understands that no person can live the Christian life unless he first of all has a true understanding of what it is that makes us Christian in the first place. And so Paul writes and he explains that in chapter 2 of Ephesians 1. He, he talks about what it means to become Christians in the first place. And he says that before you knew God, you were separated and you were alienated from God. And you didn't have life. You didn't have a, a spiritual life. That is why the term that he uses here, dead, is such an apt description of those who are apart from Christ. Because to know God is to really live. And to not know God is to be dead, even though you, the person is breathing and walking around. And what's so deceptive about our life before we come to faith in Jesus Christ and when we're ensnared in our sin is that, that, that our evil desires really don't seem so evil. I mean, actually, they appear to be very natural to us. But the problem is, is that they are not in line with God's desires. You know, really, they're, they're there to fulfill our own desires. And what God desires for us is not only good, but it is best. You know, it's not 
unlike our, our kids, you know, our kids oftentimes want things that aren't necessarily the best for them, you know. Kids, let's just say this, for example, what would you think if uh, you could ask your parents if you could have chocolate cake every night for supper? Wouldn't that be great? You know, I mean, that's the kind of things that kids, I mean, a lot of adults are shaking their head. Yeah, that would be really great, you know. And, uh, and with a child, you might look at that and you might reason with your parents, you know, to try to make your case. But mom, dad, I mean, you think about it, chocolate cake, it has eggs, has milk, has flour. All these things are good for you. So wouldn't it be great if I could have chocolate cake? And of course, they're going to squash that. They're going to say, no, you need to have a well-balanced diet. Because they understand better than you understand that while it has good ingredients for you, it's not good if that's all you eat. And before we become Christians, we're a lot that way. We are so convinced that the way that we are living our lives is the right and the perfect way. Otherwise, we wouldn't be living our lives that way. And, and some people that we see that, that are not believers, we might even look at them and think that, wow, their life is so successful, at least by the world standards. But what we don't realize is, is that our logic, that our, that our reasoning is flawed, much like the kids who want chocolate cake for supper every night, because uh, we are looking at a life without God. Before we come to faith in Christ, we are the center of our lives. God sometimes is not even a part of our lives, but we are the focus. So all, Paul is saying, all who are Christians used to be like that. They were dead in their trespasses and sins, we see in verse 1. They were following after the course of the world. They were being driven by their own passions and their desires. But then we see the grace of God uh, comes about. You know, but what has changed our hearts and our minds Paul says, is not ourselves. Look at verses 4 and 5. He says, but God. You know, when we're in the midst of that sense of being dead in our sins and enslaved to sin, then God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. It is by grace. Now, we've got to understand that, you know, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 is probably one of the better known Bible verses, right, in all of Scripture. It's a lot like John three sixteen. If you ask kids, you know, to memorize Scripture, they're going to probably have to memorize Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, because it is such a great summary of this whole chapter, the, this verses 1 through 10. And, but it doesn't mean that Paul waits till he gets to verse 8 to talk about grace. He actually has been talking about grace since chapter 1 when he talks about our deadness. So it, it is by grace. It is an undeserved gift of God that God gave us when we were sinners. In Romans chapter 5 verse 8 it says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, we weren't seeking God, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then if that's not strong enough, then Paul goes on in that same chapter to say we were enemies of God. Now think about that. That's, that's very strong language. If you have an enemy, what are you going to seek to do? To destroy that enemy. You're going to do everything you can to come against that enemy, to make them fall, to make them go down. And that was the attitude that we had towards God that we were his enemies. But even while we were opposing him and coming against him, 
Christ died for us to pay the penalty for our sins. Now, kids, growing up in the church, you may not feel like you're an enemy of God. And you may not be. But it is possible. Because, you know, you, you look at your life as kids and you say, I go to church every week with my parents. I go to Sunday school. You know, we go to Bible study, too. And at home, we talk about the Bible and we memorize scripture and we sing songs to God. But, you know, you can do all of that. And yet your life is still focused upon doing what you want to do. That when it comes to talking about the Bible, your attitude is like, again, we got to talk about God. You know, and when we do that, what we're showing is, is that we really don't care about God. Really where our focus and our desire is, is upon ourselves. And we are in a state of lostness where we are unable to change our heart, nor do we want to change our heart. But it's in that time that God in his grace intervenes on our behalf. So you could say that even though we deserve nothing but retribution and the wrath of God, God gave us just the opposite of what we deserve. He took those who were his enemies and he changed their, their nature where they no longer opposed him, that instead now they, they loved him and he has made them his sons and he has adopted them into his family and he will love them for, forevermore. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but who's writing this? Paul. Okay? Now, if anybody has experienced the grace of God firsthand, it is the Apostle Paul. Because if you, if you know, if you've grown up in the church, you know that actually Paul used to go by a different name. God changed his name to Paul, but his name beforehand was Saul of Tarsus. And Saul was a Pharisee, and Saul hated Jesus Christ. He was a religious leader that hated Jesus. And he hated the church. And he did everything he could to extinguish Christianity. He arrested Christians. He had them put to death. And as a matter of fact, on the night in which he was converted to Christianity, he was on the road to Damascus with letters in his hands to arrest more Christians. And yet, and on that night, Jesus Christ intervened in Paul's life. And, and he's shown this bright light that was so bright it blinded Saul. And Jesus spoke to him and he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, and in that time he, he humbled and he changed Paul, Saul's heart. And so therefore to signify that change of heart, he changed his name to Paul. He became known as the Apostle Paul. But even though he had a changed heart, this man was so greatly feared by the church because he had done so much persecution and damage to the church that when he tried to show up for church on Sunday morning, uh, that uh, the Christians didn't want anything to do with him. Because they're like, okay, dude, this guy, this is just a trick. He just wants to arrest us. And finally, Barnabas had to sort of intercede on his behalf and say, no, you guys don't understand. God has changed his heart. He was dead in his sins, but he is alive now. And so you can just imagine that as Paul is penning these words, that he is thinking, I am what I am by the grace of God. It's not because I am any, of anything great. As a matter of fact, I have dishonored my Lord. But now, by his grace, I stand. And Paul wanted Christians to know that. 
And he wants us to know that as well. But then he also goes on and he talks not only of God's grace, but he also talks about good works. You know, more and more, I am convinced that most of our troubles in the Christian life really arise from not really grasping the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And still thinking that even as Christians, that we have some sliver of goodness in us that sets us apart from others and makes us better than them. We know uh, that humanity in general, that mankind in general, has a tendency to think that they're not as bad as what the Bible describes them. And so a lot of people are offended by the very words that I'm speaking because they don't, they don't agree. And they have a tendency to think that they're better than they are. Uh, that somehow, in some way, they bring some goodness to God. Uh, and that God will do His part and that they will just do their part. I don't know, maybe you've talked to people about spiritual things and you've asked that person, you know, what they're trusting in for their salvation or what they're trusting in in order to go to heaven. And you might have heard answers like this. Well, you know, when I stand before the Lord, I just hope that I've been good enough for him to accept me. Or I hope that my goodness has outweighed my badness. So you see, in that answer is there's this sense that I am good enough that I bring something that maybe I could please God. But Paul says there is nothing in us whatsoever. Paul tells us that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And even though we know that, as Christians, still we can be tempted to think that there is some decency in us that separates us from others, sometimes even from other Christians. And that's why Paul tells the Christians at Rome, he says, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought. But as we come to grasp the reality of that, uh, there never was and still is no inherent goodness in us, and that what we possess in Christ is ours only because of God's grace, then we are set free from judgmental attitudes towards others, and we can walk, as Paul says, in humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That's what the gospel does when it grips our hearts. Kids, do you know why you fight with your brothers and sisters? Because you don't get what you want, right? And there's a sense in which you think that you are more right than they are, which is a sense of pride. But unfortunately, it's not just the struggle that kids have. Even we as adults do the same thing. And even within the church, we see fighting because Christians think that they're better than others. And we see that not only in the modern day church, but we've, we see it in the scriptures. We see it in the Corinthian church where there's fightings and quarrels amongst each other. And they were all trying to promote themselves. And they wanted everybody to see that they knew something, that they were an authority. And they wanted to be valued by, by other people. So the fact that we are Christians gives us no grounds whatsoever for our boasting or our bragging. Because Paul says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now let's just think about that for a moment. What, what is your idea of yourself as a Christian? How did you become a Christian? What are you trusting in to be saved? For what reason should God save you 
and let you into heaven? Does your idea of how you became a Christian give you any grounds whatsoever for being proud of yourself or for bragging? Does it in any way reflect credit upon yourself? If it does, then according to what God has said in his word, you are not a Christian. God says, and this is not your own doing, so that no one may boast. It's interesting that Paul puts it this particular way, because before he became a Christian, he knew a great deal about boasting and bragging. Uh, there, there was probably no more self-satisfied or assured man than the Apostle Paul. He was proud of his nationality. He was proud of the particular tribe of Israel that he was born into. He was proud of the fact that he was a Pharisee. And not only was he a Pharisee, but he was a Pharisee of Pharisee. And he had the privilege of sitting at the feet of one of the most renowned teachers of his day. He was proud of his religion and his morality and his knowledge. Uh, But after Paul became a Christian... This is what he said. He said, you know, here I am, a good man, a moral man, a religious man. And in Philippians chapter 3, verse 4, this is how he described it. He goes, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, or that is in his human abilities. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, uh, um, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a person, excuse me, let me read that again. A Hebrew of Hebrews, uh, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. That's how he viewed himself. But then he goes on and he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. You see, Paul saw all of his accomplishments as in the past as, as irrelevant now that he is in Jesus Christ. That Christ is everything to him. It is by grace that he is saved by Christ. These other things are, uh, what he says, rubbish. Now, kids, do you know what that word rubbish means? It means dung. Let me put it in today's language, kids. It means poop. That's what Paul is saying. That I count all things as poop in order that I may gain Jesus Christ. That's how he viewed his good works. You see, where sin tempts us to think that we're not as bad as we are, and to think actually that we're better than we are, do you know what grace does? Grace humbles us because we're not saved by anything inside of us or anything that we do, but only because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. You know, we need to hear this because it's always in connection with our works that we're most liable to brag, we're most tempted to brag. It's at this point that the devil tempts us in all the most subtle matters, and that is regarding good works. 
And that's why the Pharisees were the greatest enemies of Christ. Not because they were mere talkers, but because they really did the things that they claimed to do. I mean, you think about Jesus telling the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke 18. And, and the Pharisee said, I fast twice a week. And he was speaking the truth. Now, this was just a parable, but the Pharisees in that day really did do that. And he said, you know, I give tithes of all that I get, which was uh, strictly accurate. And so we oftentimes think of the Pharisees as sort of big blowhards. You know, they're just sort of shooting off their mouth, but they really did the things that they claimed to do. And it was because of their good works that they were proud and they looked down upon others and they, were res and they resented the preaching of the Son of God and they were responsible for his crucifixion because they could not stand Jesus Christ. Because he confronted their pride. It is always more difficult, brothers and sisters, to convert a good person than a bad one because of their works. Because they look at their life and they say, you know, I'm not so bad. I do this, 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 and this. And kids, I want to tell you this, that God is put you in this church that you might hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and be very careful that you don't look at your works and think, I am good and I'm better than other people because I do this, 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 and this. The only worth we have is in relationship to our relationship with God. And, you know, even throughout church history, the greatest opponents of the gospel and some of the most cruel persecutors in history have come from good and religious people. Why is that? That's because of their works, because of their self-righteousness. The gospel always denounces reliance upon good works and the pride of good works. And, and uh, you know, such people can't uh, stand it because if you take away their good works, they really have nothing. And that's why the Pharisees were so upset with Jesus. And that's why those that rely upon their good works even today are very uh, uh, opposed to the gospel. And they hate the preaching of the gospel because it humiliates them and puts them in a position of reliance upon God alone, which leaves them no room for bragging. Such people think that their good works makes them a Christian, but Paul says exactly the opposite. Look at verse 10. He says, For we are His, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The tragedy is, is that people think that if they only do a certain things or they avoid certain things and they live a good life and they go out and they help others, in that way they will become a Christian. But Paul says that God makes us Christians. That is, that God is the one that does the work. He does a work in our hearts in order that we may do good works. I like the way that Martin Lloyd-Jones put it, he said, It's not a question of good works leading to Christianity, but Christianity leading to good works. That's what we see in Scripture. God makes Christians, and then they go on to do their good works, but bragging is excluded because the good works don't come from us, but they come from a heart that God has changed. They come as a result of the work of God. So any bragging we do is to brag about God and the work that He has done in our hearts. But good works is not the only thing that tempts us to boast and to brag. Uh, so uh, we come to verse 8 where he talks about faith. So we talked about grace, we talked about works, and now we're talking about faith. He said, Now there's a great controversy about verse 8 when it comes to faith. 
Because the question that oftentimes, if you're looking at the ESV, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. What's the this referring to? Is it referring to the grace, or is it referring to the faith? And you may be here today and say, I have no clue why you're even asking that question. You know, what, what difference does that make? You know? Well, the reason this question is so important is that some will say that faith is what man brings to salvation. They would say, yes, God does do a work in our hearts, but faith is our part that we need to present to God. So the question is, is, is the gift that God gives grace or faith? And the answer is, from this verse, we can't tell. And I, I have people ask me all the time, they say, well, Pastor Rick, what does it say in the Greek? And I said, I looked at the Greek, and guess what? You can't tell. It's, it's ambiguous in the Greek as well. But, if you look at the context of this verse, look at verses 9 and 10, and you see that Paul is careful to make it clear that we add nothing to our salvation, otherwise we would have grounds to brag. Besides, the Bible describes our condition, even in the first three verses, as the fact that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Not just sick, as some people want to suggest. You see, we need to be careful, and it's important that we should avoid turning faith into some kind of work. Like that, I come, I have faith in God, and so therefore God sees that faith, and then he comes and he meets me halfway, and he says, okay, I see your faith, now I'll act. Because if that's the case, then we really save ourselves, not God saving us. Because if we didn't have that faith, then God wouldn't act. But that's not what, what Paul says. He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. You know, I, th I think we need to look very carefully here because if we look at this carefully, we see that faith is not the cause of salvation. Christ is the cause. Faith is simply the instrument through which salvation comes to a person. Faith is the channel through which the salvation uh, is given to us by the grace of God. I am saved by grace through faith. And it's not our decision or deciding for Christ that makes us Christian. Faith shows us that God is at work in our hearts and has shown us his grace by making us alive in Christ. So we don't brag because of our faith. We just recognize that when we see faith in a person, that is evidence that God is at work in that person's life. And so sometimes you hear people's testimonies that sound something like this. Well, you know, 30 years ago, I decided to follow Jesus, and I've never regretted that decision since then. Okay, well, I think a more biblical way of saying that would say 30 years ago, I was dead in my trespasses and sin, but God began to do something in me. He began to open my eyes. He began to deal with my heart. He began to make me aware. And I felt God smashing me, showing me my sin and bringing me to the end of myself. And then I felt the hands of God remaking me and giving me new life. Those things that I once had no interest in, all of a sudden my eyes were open and I could see clearly the things that God has done. And my heart has been changed and a Christian is a person in whom God has worked, and you'll notice the work that God has done. And I think today too many people will say that they have faith in Jesus, but there's no works. There's no good works. There's no evidence that God is at work 
in their hearts. And just because they say they're a Christian doesn't mean they're a Christian. I can say I'm a chicken, but that doesn't make me a chicken. When God works in our hearts, he does such a mighty work in us that there is a complete change in that person. You know, if you look at what Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Paul says in Philippians 1 verse 6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. God has begun a good work in you. It is God's work. And he came when you were dead and he made you alive and he put that life in you. And that's what makes a person a Christian. So it's not our works or our decision, but God's determination concerning you put in, into practice. And it's here that we see how our ideas of what Christian is fall hopelessly short of the biblical teaching. A Christian is a new creation. And I don't want you to forget that, people. It's not just a, a, a good person or it's not just a person whose life has been improved or made better. Or even it's a person who is now a moral person. He is a new person. Peter says in 2 Peter 1.4, he is a partaker of the divine nature. God has done a work in that person's life so much that the Spirit of God has changed the nature of that person. And so I think sometimes, you know, when you sort of look at people in their life, and, you know, we want to give people passes all the time. We say, well, yeah, I think they're a Christian, you know, because they went to church or they prayed a prayer. And we think, yeah, I think they're a Christian. It's like, well, do they go to church? No. Do they read their Bible? No. Do they desire anything of God? No. But I think they're a Christian. You know what? Your God is too small if you think that's a Christian. Because God doesn't just do a little tweak on a person's life. He changes their life. Now, he doesn't make them perfect. That, that whole process of becoming more like Christ is a process that happens in our entire life until the day we die and we stand before God in glory. So don't look for perfectionism, but look for a person whose heart and attitude and will and life has been changed. It is God who makes us Christian and he does it in the way that he has created everything. He does it out of nothing by the power of his word. God created the creation, the world and everything that way. And he does the same thing with the new creation when he changes us and he makes us new in Jesus Christ. And I just pray that God's power would be at work in our church. I pray that it would be work in our hearts to change us, to follow God, not to play church, not to stand up as arrogant son of a guns, looking down upon other people and judging them. But I pray that the power of God would so work in our hearts to make us a humble people and a humble people that are willing to walk out that door and to go and to be in the lives of other people who are messy, people who are not like us, people whom we can love because we were first loved, people who will come and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. You know, I think about many of us, and we would have never come to faith in Jesus Christ if God had not sent somebody into our lives to tell us the gospel of Jesus Christ. And may we be those people that go out and to tell others about Christ. Thank God our salvation is by grace. If we were not of grace, we would all be hopelessly lost and condemned. But because it is by grace and it is God's work and I am God's workmanship, I know that in spite of myself, I know that in spite of the sin that remains in me, that I will be made perfect. 
because I am God's workmanship. If we were left to us, there would be no hope. Who are we to face the world and the devil and the flesh? And you may be here today and you may feel beat up. It may be that you've been struggling with sin this week and maybe sin has been victorious in your life in one sense, that you have just given in to sin and you feel the guilt of your sin before God and you are just beating yourself up and thinking, oh, I'm such a terrible person. You are right. You are a terrible person. But you are not in Christ because you are a good person. You are in Christ because God is a good person. And he's reached out and he has saved you. And so where there was forgiveness for you to come to faith in Christ, there is forgiveness now even as you struggle with your sin. And you can come to him and you can confess that sin and you can repent of that sin and you can turn from that and he will forgive you, brothers and sisters. We are his workmanship. We are not done yet. But we are in his hands. And if he has started working on us, he will finish what he has started until we are complete. And it may be that you are here today and you are still in your debt, your, your, your trespasses and your sins. And you don't know Christ. If that's the case, he calls you to believe in him, to repent of your sin and turn to him. And he will give you not only forgiveness, but he will make you a new creature, a new person in Christ. And he calls you to walk in obedience to him. If you are here today though, you may be here and not readily and willing to submit to God. You may be fighting with God. You may be a believer, but maybe the Lord's been convicting you about something and, and you've been fighting him. And I just want you to know that God will discipline you because what father does not discipline a son whom he loves? He will not leave you where you are in your rebellion and your unwillingness to follow him. He loves you and he calls you to come to him. He will knock off those corners. He will chisel away at your life and make you like Christ. But if you are here today and you are walking in obedience to him, know that God will continue to make you after the image of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but that's the hope of this preacher as I stand here before you. It's not because I think I'm a good person or I'm better than anybody, but it's just because I see God's continued work in my life. And that is the hope that we have as Christians. He will go on with this work until every spot and wrinkle and any such thing will have been removed. And you will stand in the presence of God faultless and blameless with exceeding joy, worshiping him and glorifying him for all eternity. Brothers and sisters, thank God it's not of works. Thank God that it's not your believing that saves you. Thank God that there is nothing of which you can boast. And thank Him that your salvation is by grace through faith so that our bragging is not about what we have done, but about what He has done. Amen? Let's bow our heads and meditate upon the word that's preached this morning. Oh God, we thank you for the work that you have done and you are doing in the lives of your people. I thank you, God, that you are a God that has pursued us, that you are a God that has saved us, and you are a God that promises to complete the work that you have done in us. Oh Lord, help us to walk in your grace. Would you please, Lord, squash any pride or arrogance or... or uh, self-sufficiency that we have 
in our hearts. I pray that you would not let these words quickly escape our minds, but this week I pray that you would bring them to our hearts and minds to think about these things. I pray, Lord, for any that might be here today that's living in rebellion or those that may not know you, God, that they would turn to you and trust in you, knowing that you are a good and a loving and a gracious God. Oh, Lord, please, Lord, work in us to cause us to worship and to praise you, to love you so much, Lord, that we just can't wait to be in your presence. We thank you, Lord, for these things that have been spoken today. Use them, God, for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.